Okay, let's go in our Bibles to Acts chapter 6. If you're new with us today, uh, this is something uh, out of the ordinary. We're going to have the ordination uh, for a deacon, for a very special young man here at the end of this service. And I'm going to talk to you today about deacons. And uh, I think for most folks, uh, especially if you have a Baptist background, deacon is not normally synonymous with the word good. Y'all okay? We're going to be very honest today, and we're going to try to dispel the myths on why often uh, the word deacon for Baptist churches does not have a good connotations. <clears throat> uh, for some people, in Baptist churches especially, the deacon is someone that if you have something to complain about, you go to where? The deacon, right? And the deacon is viewed for some folks as a conduit for complaints to go to the pastor or the staff. Uh, for some people in the church, the deacons are considered the almighty deacon board to where all the decisions from the church come down and it's basically a board of elders or board of directors. And then some people say, well, you know, the word deacon, doesn't it mean something having to do with servant? Some folks realize that, but they're, you know, the whole question of, well, what does that really mean? What does that look like? And uh, on Wednesday night, we looked at the difference between most of the major denominations. And we told a little story that kind of illustrated the difference for that. And uh, here it goes. Y'all ready for it? This is like your, this is your, your biannual preacher joke from the pulpit. Okay? It's going to make a lot of folks really happy. Okay? It's a small town that had four main churches. Had a Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic, and a Baptist. And all three, actually all four of the churches had problems with squirrels uh, in, in the church building itself. And the Presbyterians, it was decided that it was predestined that the squirrels be in the church and that they would just have to live with them. All right? Methodists decided they should deal with the squirrels lovingly in the style of Charles Wesley. They humanely trapped them and released the squirrels in a park near the edge of town. But within three days, all of the squirrels were back in the church building. The Catholics baptized and confirmed the squirrels, but they will only see them at Christmas and on Easter. And here's where the good part comes in, Baptists. The Baptists had a business meeting, and it was decided that the squirrels should be trapped, eat, killed, and eaten at the next covered dish. But the squirrels died of old age before the ever motion was ever voted on because of the Board of Deacons. Okay, So that's right there, just kind of out of the get-go. Uh, we all have different ways, different churches have different ways of organization and actually doing ministry. And so what we're going to have at the end of this service, after the invitation, we're going to ask every deacon who's active and inactive, if you've been a deacon here at any point in time, we want to, we'll have uh, Matt come to my left and your right and sit in this chair and uh, we'll just come one by one and I would like you to lay hands on him as the Bible says and just pray for him. Um, and that will induct Matt as, as being a, an official deacon who's been ordained here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And Matt's already been used in so many ways, uh, especially on the technology side. And man, I'm going to be glad to be, start serving with you, uh, official capacity. And, um, but I want to take this time this morning and address a subject that honestly has a lot of Baptist churches in, in confusion and in chaos 
and there's backbiting and there's just this whole thing. Well, is the pastor in charge? Is the church in charge? Are the deacons in charge? And who does what? We're going to take a look. And if you notice there, I'm not sure. Oh, we do have a worship guide up here. If you notice on the back, it is absolutely packed out from information. Amen? Right? All of our studiers are like, okay, we got some good stuff. In fact, what we're going to do is actually, we're not just going to look at the Bible, but we're going to look at what the Greek dictionary says the definition of a deacon is. Amen? So I'm like, I don't know what a deacon is. All I know is that Duke has the demon deacons, and I may have been in a church that had some of those in the past, right? But I have no clue what a deacon is or what they do according to the Scripture. We're going to walk right through that. But let me give you, um, before we start, just several examples of deacons in Christian history. Uh, there was one deacon, and his name was Lawrence, and he died in 258 A.D. What happened is that the local, um, you could call it like a Roman governor, brought uh, the head pastor before the tribunal, and he executed him. Then he brought Lawrence, who was, he wasn't just a deacon, but he was a principal financial officer of the church. So here you've got a deacon and a treasurer in one. Now, a lot of folks in church, they say, you never want to have too much power in one person's hands. Don't you think that that's kind of an indictment upon our hearts? Amen, church? That we couldn't trust one person to do more than one one job? So here's what happened. The Roman prefect called Lawrence before, and he says, if you will transfer all of your money, give the state your riches, I will let you go free. So what the deacon treasurer did is he signed over what we would consider power of attorney to godly people in the church for his finances. He gave it all. He gave the church's finances control to other people in the church. And guess what he did for several days? He went around a whole city and he brought all of, and this is uh, what the history says, all of the sick, the aged, the poor, the widows, and the orphans of this Christian congregation, and he assembled all of these people before the Roman governor and said, these are the riches of the church. Wow. You know what the Roman governor did? He executed him by being burned alive. And it says that this deacon Lawrence was blamed for, quote, all of Rome becoming Christian, unquote. What an amazing testimony And if you haven't noticed the title today, it is Dead Deacons. It's a testimony to his faithfulness to Christ. Number two, Deacon Vincent of Saragossa. This was, uh, for those of you history buffs, the, the emperor Diocletian, who was particularly brutal to Christians. Killed this one deacon. And what happened is that it's according to tradition, this deacon Vincent refused to sacrifice to the pagan gods. So Diocletian placed him on the rack after placing him in prison without food and actually burned him alive as well. Number three, Deacon Benjamin, 424 AD in the, um, in the country of Persia. What happened here is that he was told that if we release you, we will release you if you promise not to testify and teach people about Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And you know what he said to the ruler there in Persia? This is outside of the, um, the, the Roman Empire directly. He says that he could not bear to be the slothful servant. Remember Matthew chapter 25? 
that the king gave different servants different amounts of money. And he says, you know, basically, here it is. Use it, right? Reproduce it. And there was the one servant who was afraid and he went and hid it and sat on it. He says, I do not want to be that servant. So here's what happened. The king asked him again. He says, will you still preach the faith of your kingdom? The deacon Benjamin said, yes. And the king said, we will, we will kill you. And the response was to the king from a Christian deacon. What opinion would you have of one of your subjects who renounces allegiance to you and joins in war against you? And it is for that reason the deacon made clear that I will not change. I will not recant and I will die for Jesus Christ. And he did. Throughout Christian history, there have been loads and many, many deacons who have stood firm in the face of persecution. They have backed up the pastors, and it is an incredible thing. And also, Deacon Stephen, but we're going to pick that up here in just a little bit uh, in the servant, in the, in the sermon. But we want to understand first off, what does the word deacon mean? Now, if we, you were to open up the Greek New Testament and see a bunch of words that look like a drunk chicken picked up a pen and started writing, okay? The Greek New Testament, you would find that the word, English word deacon, guess what it is in Greek? Basically, deacon. Well, we speak English, not Greek. What happened? Well, when the Bible was translated into English, the word deacon was not really translated, but what they did is give English letters to the Greek word. So we've got a Greek word deacon, but what does it mean? Notice there on your worship guide, we'll walk right through this. Number one, there are actually two meanings here. Number one, a deacon, a diakonos, is one who serves as an intermediary in a transaction, an agent, an intermediary, or a courier. Number two, one who gets something done. Amen? A get done, right? Get it done. And uh, also at the behest of a superior. In other words, an assistant. Very interesting. So the next question, okay. We know that a deacon is an assistant, one who gets something done. But what do deacons actually do? You'll notice there on the bottom, we have all of this cited from a Greek uh, and English uh, lexicon. What the words actually mean. It's BDAG for you nerds. Um, Number one. What a deacon actually does, if you put deacon in a verbal form like one who is an assistant, here's what they do. Here's five meanings. Number one, it would be service rendered to an intermediary capacity, mediation or assignment. Number two, the performance of a service. Make a little note right there, Acts chapter 6 that we'll go to in just a moment. Number three, functioning in the interest of a larger public service, office of the prophets and apostles. Number four, rendering of specific assistance, aid and support. Number five, an administrative function, service as an attendant, aid or assistant. It means that this is so amazing that the actual hands-on ministry, the giving out of the food, the helping of people hands-on, if we could put it in our context, the taking care of the building, the deacons get to do it. That's what I thought. Everybody's like, I never want to be a deacon. Here's an idea that I hope will change today. 
Our understanding in our 21st American culture is that if you're an assistant, if you have to do work, that's not what you want to do. Because what you want to do, you want to be the one telling everybody else what to do, right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that what our culture says, right? Joy is found in being boss hog. Use a little Dukes of Hazard reference, okay? Happiness and the best thing that you could ever get is to be back through you sit back in your big chair. You know, you probably shouldn't do it, but you know, you got your proverbial, you know, cigar there and you've got your feet up on the desk and you've got your secretary buzzing in and you hit the button and say, tell the president I'll call him back after lunch, right? That type of, of, of superior king top down model of leadership which is in fact the very thing that Jesus says that the disciples are not to do. Remember when, this would be so funny, when James and John, they got their mom to go talk to Jesus. Can my two sons, when you come in your kingdom, can they sit upon your right hand? Well, that, that's kind of like your mom coming to, to the high school baseball team practice saying, um, excuse me, can my son pitch? Like, Mom, no! She comes like right in and she asks Jesus, can my two sons be your right hand men? And then Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. And then Jesus goes into one of the most interesting and thought-provoking talks about what leadership is not. And he says, the rulers of the Gentiles, the lost people, the lost world, lord it over them. How many of you have ever had a boss? And you almost thought, maybe I should call the boss master or lord or potentate, all right? We're getting any witnesses, okay? It's that type of model, that type of, I'm going to, because I'm the boss, put a, put a spike upon your head and pound you into the ground with giving you zero encouragement, sucking the very marrow out of your bones, and telling you that if you don't do it better next week, you may not have a job. Jesus says, the lords of the Gentiles are lord it over them. But it is not that way with you. Jesus paints this picture that oftentimes, even in church, we don't understand that to do service. You remember when Jesus, all the guys were talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus didn't say anything, but what did he go get? He got a bowl of water and he came over and he began to wash feet. Now, if we're Christians who follow Christ and he's our Lord and our Savior. And Jesus says that true leadership is actually doing things that are not necessarily fun to do. Then the men who are chosen and appointed to be deacons to do the service get the approval of Almighty God. It is a fearful and an amazing gift An amazing responsibility, a blessed position to be chosen by a church and by the leadership of that church and confirmed to be a deacon, a servant. Church I served at in Pensacola, um, some of the deacons who who had green thumbs, they got together and it was probably about as wide as our sanctuary is, uh, maybe about 20 or 30 yards across. And they planted a huge garden and they called it the widow's garden. Because what we're going to read here in just a few moments in Acts chapter 6 and verses 1 through 6, the deacons, their first job, you say, no, they did, they, these may not be deacons. They did the job of deacons. It was to take care of the widows. 
The deacons get to do stuff. You see, we've got to change our mindset in the church today. I mean, would you agree with that? Because how many of us have tried to climb, maybe it's the corporate ladder, it's the sports ladder, or, 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 the, or the popularity ladder, and it seems like the higher you get, the more pressure you have on you. But when, like Jesus, when you get down on your hands and knees and you serve, it's an amazing, amazing freedom. And I want to touch on something very quickly before we move on. Often in Baptist churches, we, we say, well, okay, a deacon's supposed to serve, so what we do is we assign deacons to families. If you ever talk to a denominational worker, they will tell you that that has been an absolute train wreck. Do you know why? Here's what happens. Let's say you take a deacon, very, 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 very good at serving and doing things. Not very good at sitting by somebody's bedside who has cancer. And there's not really any of us that are. If you are, um, that would be great. We could use you for bereavement ministry. But what happens is deacons have been chosen and pushed into doing everything. Those of you who have heard, heard, been deacons in the past, I want you to go with me on this. You're required to write letters. Some of you women say, if my husband writes two lines in a letter, I'm blown away, right? He's just not expressive. Write letters of bereavement. Go visit. You've got to be a, a jack of all trades to fix things all around the church. And it's almost like we expect our deacons to be supermen. Well, doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible about spiritual gifts? About how God has given different people different abilities? See, now, Jeff, I thought that, that, that the Bible said that deacons are supposed to serve. They are. But, hello world, not everybody has the same gifting, right? So what I've experienced is sometimes you can find good men who are willing to serve. They say, I don't know how to do this, but I can do this. But the church says, well, if you're a deacon, you've got to have your families. And, 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 and the, the normal guy who's not on a power trip is going to be like, oh, no. I'm going to have folks calling me because I am their deacon. At Rocky Mount Baptist Church, guys, church, everybody is your deacon. Amen? We don't have a selective group. So what we want to do in the future is, is, is allow people, not just the deacons, but the whole church to serve in the areas that you're gifted. If you're good with food, praise God, go do the food. And if you're like me, stay away from it until you're ready to eat it. All right? So Acts chapter 6, here is the first, uh, I guess you could say, collision in the early church saying we need some help. Verse 1 in Acts chapter 6, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint of the Hellenists, and this was a group of Greek Christians, okay? Rose, uh, 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 Greek speaking, uh, rather, Christians, rose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, these are the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples. Okay, so here's all the church together. Alright? Business meeting, basically. And said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Wow! Everybody's on board. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit 
and full of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and it goes down the list, and it says in verse number 6, and they have set them before the apostles, they prayed and laid their hands on them, and verse 7, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So here's what you have. Once a church gets to any decent size, the leadership, let's, let's just say the pastors can't do it all. And so what happened is the church says, we need some help. Now notice the reason behind this. In verse 2, the, the, the apostles say that we can't leave. In other words, all the time it takes to preach and to prepare and to do spiritual work. We can't do that and then operate the benevolence ministry at the same time. We all track in with that? Okay. So in other words, we need some help. And they got these qualified men to do it, and they're qualified men to do the bricks and mortar stuff. Now notice that the deacons here were not overseers, but they were actually doers. Isn't it fun to get to do something? Have you, I don't know, maybe y'all awake with me this morning? All right? Like, I don't know, I don't want to do anything, just sit here. All right? Yeah, it's good. Like if you've ever been to to a construction project or someone's moving into the house, have you ever been in that awkward state to where let's say someone's moving in a new apartment house and everybody has something to do, but you're back there awkwardly standing, right? Do you guys need anything? Nope, no help. You just kind of stand there. You're like, well, I'm like a useless waste of space here. It's very frustrating for godly men to be placed in the role of deacon, but not be able to really do anything. And often the problem with most Baptist churches is not what we believe. We believe the Bible is the word of God. Amen, church? I mean, it is. We believe that Jesus is the son of God. But I just want to just be very honest, very, very open. The problem with most Baptist churches is that we fail to understand the role of the deacon and how it relates to the role of the elder. Mm. Most Baptist churches don't. They say, okay, deacon, well, Timothy, right. The, and actually, go ahead and start, turn over there. First Timothy chapter 3. We start after. Okay, we start after it. It, it talks about the elders. We like totally white out that part of the Bible but we talk about deacons. So here's what happens, and this is so frustrating to godly men, they may not say it, but deacons are appointed in the Bible to do the work of the ministry, but most Baptist churches appoint deacons to be a board of overseers who find somebody to do the work of the ministry. Now, how could that not be more frustrating, right? For godly men who wants to serve Christ and wants to be the Lord, do the work of the deacon, it's like, I want to help and I want to do it. So, if the Bible says that the deacons are supposed to be the doers, the hands of the church, to provide and to care for the members, then where does the mantle of responsibility rest? Before we do that, I want to just give you a little, little heads up on the way a lot of deacons operate outside of America. Um, and a lot of Russian Baptist churches, and, and the U, I guess it would be the former USSR, they have so few um, churches there that they would have like a pastor, okay? Like let's say Rocky Mountain, like, like I would be the pastor. And what the deacons would do is go, to, go out to Ferrum and go to Endicott or go out to the lake. And they would go find groups of Christians, sometimes four, five, six, maybe ten people. And they were basically like circuit-driving, circuit-riding preachers. And the deacons were like pastors of these little individual congregations. 
And I was able to go and see this one get big, big, tall Russian guy. He was, uh, his name was Sergey, right? If you ever meet a Russian guy, it's either like Sergey or Vladimir. You know, you're, you're going to be pretty, pretty close, okay? Just take a shot in the dark. And, and so here was, was Sergey, and he was an alcoholic, but Jesus had saved him. This pastor just kept on him. You need to repent. You need to repent. You need to repent. Like that's, that's Russian style evangelism. You will go into hell. You need to repent. Okay, I'll repent. Stop saying, right? And so, so we would go. And it was, it was so simple. We, we, we sat on these benches out. I mean, we, we, they didn't have a building, these little villages. We just sat on benches. And he opened up the Bible. And all he did is he just, he just read the Bible, said a few words about it, asked them how, how they could be prayed for if they had needs. Just got around and laid hands on people. Gave him hugs and prayed for him. And he got in his old van. I mean, this van was like, I mean, it was, it was beyond gone. Like, we were driving down the road one day. The bumper uh, or the, 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 the tailpipe falls off. We're like, we need to fix it. He's like, ah! He's just laughing, you know? Like, no concept of fixing it. And just going from village to village to village on his days off to encourage people. He didn't have to stand up and give a 5,000-hour sermon. But it was amazing to see the deacons work there. Also in the country of Brazil, um, this is also the way that it works. In fact, we didn't work with a pastor on one of our job sites for the construction of this new building. We worked with a deacon who was a representative from the mother church to come and basically be Jesus' hands and his feet to encourage and love the people there at the church. So that's the way that it's worked. We've looked at some deacons who have even died um, in Christian history, but... Um, what are the biblical qualifications for deacons? Let's, let's do that. And this is going to be straight from Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we should have one there on the pew for you. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, if you notice there in your Bible, it may have the heading beginning in verse 1, qualifications for overseers. All right? And then in verse number 8, we're going to look at the qualifications for deacons. Okay? Number one there in verse 8, it says that deacons likewise must be dignified. If you're reading the King James Version, it says grave. What in the world does it mean? It simply means, and I looked this up, it means a worthy or an honorable man. It means when people think of who is an honorable man, they think of this person. Number two there in verse 8 also. Uh, not double-tongued. And this simply means to speak with a forked tongue. It means to speak one way here and one way here. That means that biblically, um, a deacon cannot be a divider. It means that when a deacon speaks, it is for the unity of the church, speaking words of encouragement. And one of the things that can disqualify a man from being a deacon is saying two different things to divide a church. Number eight, um, not, or excuse me, verse eight as well, not addicted to much wine. Okay, so if a deacon is stumbling into um, a deacon's meeting singing, there's a tear in my beer, not good. Okay, all right. We, we get in the picture here. Let me just stop right here very quickly before we go on. This is not legalism. This is not saying you have to be a perfect person, but what it's saying, and please hear this, is that the men who actually do the work of service have to have character because deacons, when they serve, they serve who? Well, they serve the Lord, but who? People. And sometimes people can be aggravating. Amen? You're saying you got to have some character here. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be like, well, how'd that deacon's visit go? Knocked him out. No, no, not good. Okay. So notice also there in verse number 
8. Um, not greedy for dishonest gain. You could translate this as shamelessly greedy so that he would do anything to compromise ethics for cash. In our context, this could be, does a deacon value a loaded bank account? Or does the deacon value, as Deacon Lawrence did, bringing all of the poor, all of the old, all of the orphans, and saying, these are our treasures. Also in verse 9, notice what it says. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. A clear or a clean conscience. It means that the the man has to come to to a place to say, you know what, God, I've been hurt, but I forgive. Have you ever talked to somebody and it seems like a broken record about things that happened in the past that they're not willing to forgive about? Well, a person can't serve if they're still bound. I remember several years ago, my brother Josh, he um, had some blue jeans and we were changing a battery and some battery acid fell on his jeans and we didn't notice it then, but the next morning we went into the garage and you know, he, had, he had taken them off and put them, put them to the side. You saw how that acid just ate through. That's what unforgiveness and bitterness does and it is, it is a terrible, horrible thing to have to be put in the place of serving when you know you've got something on the inside absolutely eating you apart. And notice also it says uh, in verse number 10, let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Tested by who? Well, go over to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 22. This would be by the elders of the church. We're going to identify that in just a few minutes. Paul says to Timothy, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. So, a deacon should be confirmed by the elders, but also, if you want to write this down, confirmed by the church. In Acts chapter 6, when the apostles gathered the whole church together and said, Choose for you men to serve. Also, in verse number 12, it says, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. Um, If you translated this phrase literally from the Greek, it literally means a one-woman man. Okay? So if a deacon comes to the deacon's meeting and he's calling one girlfriend on this cell phone, he's calling another girlfriend on this cell phone, not okay. All right? Y'all all all right? Has to be an issue of faithfulness. That's exactly... uh, This may be some detailed stuff, but it says a one-woman man. A man who is absolutely dedicated to his wife. And then there's the question, well, does this mean divorce? Does this mean that a man who has been uh, divorced cannot be uh, a deacon? That's a very difficult question because the text simply says, a one woman man. That question would have to be answered, and we don't have time to go through the full thing, but Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus was asked about, remember the lady who got married, and then she married this brother, and he died, and she married his brother, and he died. She ended up being like married to all of these different brothers, and, and then Jesus, um, they, they, or they also had the, um, the, the scenario about divorce, and they said, you know, is it always, basically, is it okay? And Jesus goes back to the beginning. So for us to understand what divorce is, we've got to understand what marriage is. Okay? And what I'm about to say, I say it for the sake of the children. I say it for the sake of those who don't want to have to go through it. We have, in every church in America, people who have experienced divorce. Divorce, as most of us know, is never something that's solely experienced by the spouses. But it's something that hits the entire family as well. 
Can God use a person who has been divorced? Yes. Okay? God can use people who have been divorced. God can use people who have a past. I don't know how to sit here in detail. Um, some people say, well, are there ever, is there, whose fault is it? His fault or her fault? That's not for me or you to decide. But we know that God can use people who have a past. But the text here is very, very, very specific. And so you say, Jeff, what, what do we understand about marriage? Go back to what Jesus said. And he said, from the beginning, it was not so. A man, a woman, he goes back to Genesis chapter 3, 4, for life. And notice what it says in verse number 12. Also, let deacons be uh, managing their children and their households well. So this is a difficult thing for our culture because in their culture, you had people who were basically under their parents' authority until they were older. This simply means then and now that a man who is to serve as the deacon must be intentional to um, point his family towards Christ and make God a priority in the family. And notice here's where it gets really interesting in verse 12. uh, Excuse me, verse 13. And those also who serve well um, as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in with Jesus Christ. If we go back to verse 11, it says the wise. Uh Uh-oh, so here we go. Deacons wise must be dignified. It means honorable, not slanderers. Now this word slanderer uh, in the Greek New Testament, it's diablos. Diablo, Satan. That's what I did, Michael. When I was reading that, I was like, that's funny. I've known folks like that in the past, right? When they speak, it's almost like the accuser. You know what Diablo means? It means the accuser. It means that a deacon has to have the relationship with his wife that says, honey, when we speak in the the community, when we speak at church, we speak words not of accusation, but we speak words of encouragement. And also, they must be sober-minded. In verse 11, that means simply self Control. That means self-controlled, right? So if a person has a wife who is not self-controlled yet, work on that and then um, wait for the deaconship later on. Verse 11 also, um, it says, y'all okay? I've noticed that before when you actually walk through passages of Scripture, it is so awkward, isn't it? But we're not skipping anything. Y'all okay with that? I'm not doing this because I. it's like, oh, yeah, I love awkwardness. I mean, sometimes it can be funny, but not right now. Okay, this is very, all right, cut it with a knife. But I love you, and it's my duty to go through the text, so that's what we're doing. Verse 11, she is supposed to be faithful in all things. What an amazing, you could translate this, she's dedicated to her husband, her family, and her God. Wow, what an amazing support that would be for a man who's out there. It's like, honey, I just got home from a a meeting, and we're going to try to do some ministry, and these people didn't receive it, and she's there. She's not Diabloing, right? And she's not accusing him. She's not cutting down people. She says, you know what, honey, I'm dedicated for you. I'm dedicated to you. You can do it. Man, I tell you what, ladies, if you do that to your husband, you can put him on a tricycle with a water pistol and he'll storm hell itself. It is an amazing thing for a woman. It's an amazing thing for a woman to be able to be here. Notice what, notice what the text says is faithful. Doesn't mean perfect, but you're committed. You may stumble, but you're dedicated to your husband because he's dedicated to Christ. 
And when he serves, he knows that even if he comes home from a bad meeting or a tough ministry event, he's got you to have his back. Say now, okay, deacons do that. But where does the responsibility of the spiritual leadership lie? Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, This saying is trustworthy, that if anyone desires or aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. This word overseer in the Bible is episkopos. For our friends up the road, episcopal. You know what it literally means? It means an overseer. Let me give you the Greek definition here. One who has the responsibility of safeguarding or seeing to it that something is done in the correct way. And I love this. This is straight from BDAG. A, quote, guardian. So an elder of the church... It's supposed to be a guardian of the gospel saying we want to serve, but here's how the Bible says do it. Titus, go ahead and make a note. In Titus chapter 1 in verse number 5, Paul says to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The word for elder is presbyteros, presbyterian. Elder-led. Isn't this kind of cool? We're learning today, all right? So we, we, we've got overseers, episcopos, guardians, and then we've got elders, which is a council of leadership. You see, this is, this is getting kind of confusing. Go with me to Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. This is going to make, um, <clears throat> make sense. Now from Miletus, this is Paul, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. In verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So here's where Paul is using the term elder and overseer in the same sense. You say, well, how are they supposed to lead? How are elders supposed to lead? What do they do? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Paul, uh, Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, and as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, check this out, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, number two, verse two, first Peter chapter five, shepherd the flock that is among you, ex- exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. In verse four, he talks about Jesus as the great shepherd. You say, okay, so You've got these guardians. You've got deacons who are the hands of the church. That's what the text says. And then you've got the guardians of the church, the elders, the overseers. But what do the elders, overseers, guardians actually do? They shepherd the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he appointed some of them to be pastors and teachers. So here's what you have. You've got the word elder You've got the word overseer, guardian, used to illustrate that the mantle of spiritual responsibility rests upon those who shepherd the church. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 once again, And he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. The word shepherd simply means one who herds sheep a sheep herder, and one who serves as a guardian or a leader. So the New Testament uses a variety of words to describe the elder leadership of the church, which we commonly know in Baptist churches as the staff or the ones who are appointed to lead. You see, now Jeff, that sounds almost like a power struggle. It's not a power struggle, it's biblical organization. You say, now, what's, what's wrong with deacon leadership? 
The Bible doesn't say that the deacons can't lead in serving. But what the problem has been in Baptist churches in the, fa- in the past is there's been a fighting that should never exist between pastors and deacons, a trying for leadership that the Bible says that the spiritual leadership rests upon those who are given charge to shepherd the flock. And when the spiritual leadership is given, the deacons not have to, but are able to support and actually do the work of the ministry. And I think the greatest deacon in all of Scripture was Stephen. In Acts chapter 6, he was appointed to serve the church. And then what happened is false brothers were accusing him. He was brought before trial. No one could withstand his wisdom. He was executed by stoning. And the Bible says that he looked and he saw Jesus standing. We know that Jesus, Almighty God, is sitting in the right hand of the Father. But when Jesus stood up, it was because of Stephen. And Stephen is there, and he's being stoned to death. And the Bible says that the men laid their cloaks, the ones who were doing the killing, by a young man named Saul. And Saul approved. And notice what happened when Stephen died. Actually, let's, let's look at what the text says in Acts chapter 7. He says in verse 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60, and falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which means that he died. The first Christian martyr was a deacon. And I can only help but think when we read just a few minutes ago of those qualifications that the Apostle Paul gave. He remembers in his mind's eye about how he saw all of that in Stephen. And notice what the Bible says when it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Paul says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence as is in the faith. 